you're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast, the quirky little podcast from Maine. And now, your host, Down East Mike. Good morning, everybody. This is Down East Mike and the Down East Mike Podcast. How are you doing? This is May 13th, 2023, Saturday, early in the morning. Down East Mike episode number 88, news and commentary for all things related to, well, everything, I guess. Our motto is some of this is whimsy, some of it's true, and the interpretation of it all is entirely up to you. Oh, we also say, uh, did you know that the Down East Mike podcast contains no mean words, just wholesome goodness from Down East Maine, a historical literary auditory candy store, and did you hear the bells on the door when you came in? We have that little line just so we get warmed up a little bit so we can talk, talk right. In today's podcast, we have... Two Argentine jets were shot down on this day in 1982. Oceans were drying up May 13th, 1982. We have a story on smallpox and wrestling octopus from 1881. And we take a look at Maine's flower that sleeps during the day. Sort of like down East Mike on the weekend, just sleeps all day. And we have an illness of the instant. That's going to be fun, too. We will take a quick look at the world and international headlines. Let's leap right into this one. Employee found dead in freezer at Louisiana Arby's. You know somebody's going to make the pun about we got the beef and we got the meats. Um, McDonald's found liable after child suffers burns from hot chicken nuggets. They could get freezer burn from cold chicken nuggets, couldn't they? Ted Cruz is furious at ridiculous question on Republican migration plan. Uh, What else is international? Herd of cows. Aid North Carolina police pursuit, leading them directly to suspect. That might be a story you could look at later. Uh, Russian was trying to kill a patriot when the U.S.-made weapon took out the Kinzhal missile that Putin claimed was unstoppable. That's the international stuff. Elon Musk has named a new Twitter CEO. Meet the old boss, same as the new boss. That's what the WHO said. Main headlines. Anything really? Uh, oh, historic main schooner is sold at auction and may become a floating restaurant. I like how they hedge their bets there and say it may be. You know, it may become a floating restaurant. Marshalls is coming to Hannaford Drive in Farmington. A good reason to drive to Farmington. Governor Mills has unveiled a $294 million addition to the two-year budget. Here, have some more money. we got lots of it. The location of Maine's planned offshore wind port won't be chosen until 2024. When we find a way to talk to the whales on a coherent basis, we should be asking their opinion on where they want this stuff to go. Market basket, breaking ground on a new store in Topson. Town and Country is the first credit union in Maine to offer digital credit card issuance. Boy, we're all about that credit card. 
MasterCard. Um, not much else. Oh, Portland shooting incident leaves two men with serious injuries. And a, a driver was uninjured after hitting a South Portland hotel. Doesn't say how he hit it with his fist or with a car. We never know, do we? Uh, okay, that that's uh, that's enough on the headlines. It's quite a good good morning so far here. May thirteenth, Saturday. It's it's quite warm out there. It's not raining or anything. Our illness of the instant. You've probably been waiting for this one at least a week, right? To hear the newest one. Timekeepers Twitch. Oh dear. Timekeepers Twitch. Uh, um, this is something that's uh, recently popped up. It afflicts quite a few people. Uh, it's it's when you're you're looking at your watch and quite a bit, but when your watch is not actually on your wrist, that and then you start twitching looking for it. That's when you're suffering from Timekeepers Twitch. It's one of those uh, illnesses that uh, it's not terribly distracting, um, but it could be somewhat debilitating or incapacitating if you work at a drive-through at a fast food restaurant and you don't have your watch and you have that timekeeper's twitch. You're very likely to spill coffee, uh, to make mistakes, to give the wrong change out of the drawer, etc. So it can be something to look out for and be aware of Timekeeper's Twitch. There is no known cure for it other than to keep your watch on your wrist and not do that Twitch. How about some happy birthdays today to Spanky of Tidville who turns 48 years old. I remember he used to stand out by the road with his axe and cut wood. Spanky's a dock worker down at the harbor. He's also worked as a stern man. Happy birthday to Calvin of Casco. Calvin turns 56. He's a grandfather, a fighter pilot, and he once paddled a canoe the length of the Winooski River. I remember Calvin when he was a, a younger man. Two Argentine jets were shot down on this day in May 13th, 1982. A British destroyer was fighting, uh, shot down two fighter planes off the Falkland Islands. They didn't know what they were doing there. They filled up the QE2 with soldiers and took them over. And, oh, you know, let's go right to town. Argentine warplanes made a series of attacks on British ships near the Falkland Islands on Wednesday. Destroyer shot down two of them. Bang, bang. Paper was uh, 42 pages long and 30 cents on, on this day, 1982. Uh, we had a story. A scientist say that the ocean may dry up. From story out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The disappearance of an ocean which once covered the planet Venus could suggest... Let's get... Oh, I apologize. That was one of my one of my dreaded ju jump edits that I get chastised for by the producer. But uh, one of the cats was outside the Studio B door here, and it had its little little catnip balls smacking it against the door. Awful distracting. All right, where were we? Uh, the scientist in um, Ann Arbor, Michigan, Ocean. Up to one and a half miles deep may have dried up on Venus because of what is called the greenhouse effect. Did you know that? 1982, we had the greenhouse effect. Solar heat's trapped in the atmosphere. A University of Michigan professor of atmospheric and ocean, oceanic science 
His colleagues all contributed to a May 7th issue of Science Magazine. Water and carbon dioxide would have prevented heat from escaping the planet, causing it to grow still warmer until the cycle caused a runaway greenhouse catastrophe and the consequent production of a hot, dense carbon dioxide atmosphere. If Venus lost an ocean several billion years ago, could some form of life which might have developed early on that planet have been lost? Could Earth be heading toward the same fate becoming like today's Venus, which has long been thought to be nearly Earth's identical twin when the planets were formed? The two planets evolved differently, but Donahue said, Researchers think man inadvertently could trigger a runaway greenhouse effect that could lead Earth to a fate similar to that of the second planet from the sun. We could increase significantly the amount of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere by burning fossil fuels, by removing tropical forests, and possibly by massive destruction of a portion of the biosphere in a nuclear war. Isn't that depressing? That was in 1982. It hasn't come to pass so far. Well, oh, this is actually uh, 1872, May 13th. In the story out of Cumberland, uh, 220 indictments returned by the Cumberland Grand Jury on Saturday, and the press says 180 were for liquor selling. That's a lot of booze a lot to be prosecuted for. Among the parties indicted were the proprietors of the Falmouth and Adams houses. Sheriff Perry is carrying on a victorious campaign against the Portland rum sellers. Also, Henrietta Dyer, the daughter of Alfred Dyer of Portland, married a son of Powers, the sculptor, at Florence, Italy recently. I bet that was a scene. Uh, let's see. Somebody killed themselves. It's quite sad. He leaves a wife and two children. The cause was attributed to temporary insanity, I should say. Our correspondent Simon out of Augusta wrote that Thomas Lambert has commenced the erection of his car factory at the east end of the railroad bridge in Augusta. It's to be 150 feet long and 50 feet wide, one story high. A large foundation's to be built on the east of it this season, and he's now filling an order for cars for the Boston and Albany Railroad. What an industrious time that was in Maine and in America, 1872. We have a story out of Knox. John P. Smith, aged 25 years, was between Monroe and Sheep Islands in a large sailboat, accompanied by a younger brother, and the boat struck a rock about 200 yards from shore, and it immediately sank, leaving them in about five feet of water. John helped his brother to the masthead and then swam towards shore. When he had arrived about halfway, he sank and did not rise again. The boy was soon taken off, but the body of John has not been found. The boat was loaded with lobsters and headed to Rockland. Very dangerous times in the water then, as it is today. Uh, out of Wiscasset, the Wiscasset Oracle says that an unsu- unsuccessful attempt was made Sunday evening by three or four prisoners confined in a Wiscasset jail who were trying to escape. One of them stood near the door to draw the jailer inside. 
he come in here and one concealed himself in the corner cell ready to attack him with a club. Now, can you picture this? I bet they had those striped uniforms on that looked like pajamas. Their arrangements being made, a call was made for water, and when Mr. Boynton opened the door, prisoner number one made an attack on him and succeeded in fastening to his throat. But the scuffle and noise soon brought Mr. Call, who was the turnkey, to the door, and also a Mr. Davis, who happened to be at the jail at the time, and the men were easily secured. That's because those guys had had some breakfast and the other ones hadn't. On examination, their clothes and some provisions were found to be packed in the cell. They were ready to go. The men supposed Mr. Call to be absent at the time. And then the story just kind of abruptly ends. Three million feet of pine lumber is now being rafted down the Sheepskit River. It comes from Alda and Whitefield. Everything good comes from Alda and Whitefield. And most of it goes to Gardner on the Kennebec, where it sells from 18, uh, 13 to $16 per thousand. Must be per thousand board feet. There was ice on this day, 1871. The propeller Chicago, from Chicago sunk in the ice Monday morning 20 miles from Buffalo. The crew were saved. Over 100 vessels are in sight of the harbor, blocked by the immense mass of ice from the upper lakes. Nearly every tug in the harbor is disabled while endeavoring to get vessels through. That seems like pretty late in the season to have ice there. This day in 1881 out of St. John, New Brunswick, they were lamenting that the electric light will not be introduced in this city until late in the year, as the Edison Company will have all they can do during the entire summer to supply earlier orders. 1881, they were ready to flip the switch, but it wasn't ready for them. Smallpox was an issue on the same day. Parents having unvaccinated children in the city and vicinity should act promptly and secure for them the protection afforded by an effective vaccination. This is St. John, New Brunswick newspaper. There does not, it is appear, there does not, it is true, appear to be any particular likelihood of smallpox spreading here watched as every case occurring is and will be. But the disease exists in many localities abroad with which St. John has frequent communications stated some days ago in this paper. Contagion is carried easily. It is not only conveyed by a person suffering from the disease, but also by articles of many sorts to which the disease germ attaches itself readily. So no one can say that he will not be brought in contact with any person or thing fitted to communicate the disease. The great preventative is unquestionably a properly performed vaccination. Such a vaccination can easily be secured here by even the poorest persons for themselves or their children. The neglect of this simple but most efficient precaution often entails dreadful consequences, and where immediate danger is not feared, the tendency to neglect is unhappily very strong. In some cases, old wise fables about either the alleged futility of vaccination or the peril attending its performance has an effect on ignorant or crotchety minds. Thank the Lord I don't have a crotchety mind. But no fact is more solidly established 
than that of the protective power and safety of a carefully performed vaccination. It is necessary that pure lymph taken from a healthy subject should be the matter used, and that it should be used in such a manner as to bring the whole system well under its influence. But these are precautions taken by every medical practitioner of character now. It may also be desirable that the vaccination should be repeated after the lapse of a half dozen years or so in youth and until past middle life, but that can be easily accomplished. Pure lymph taken from a healthy subject. That's great. Okay, um, kindness of Captain Pike. You remember Captain Pike, the veteran from the city of Portland. He never loses an opportunity to benefit and encourage those with whom he comes in contact. And his many acts of kindness are proverbial. We should have done that as a word of the day. He finds it difficult to do without the daily papers, even on the voyage from Portland to St. John, and he sympathizes with those who are cut off from the world so as not to be able to get reading matter regularly. A short time ago, while taking an extra trip from Boston, his steamer reached Matinicus Lighthouse about daylight. Knowing that the keeper of the lighthouse on that lonely station would be delighted to get late papers, Captain Pike made him up a bundle, and then running the steamer as close to shore as possible, he attracted the attention of the keeper and threw his bundle of papers attached to a billet of wood overboard. The papers were rescued in good order, and, and Mr. John Grant, the keeper, returns many thanks to Captain Pike in hopes he may live long to protect the fortunes of those who go down to the sea in ships. Great story. Oh, the octopus out of New, New Zealand. This is from Sailor's Magazine, 1889, actually, but we, we like the story. The New Zealand mails, just to hand, bring the account of a terrible encounter between an octopus and a diver. Again, 1889. Archibald, Archibald McGovern, says a Wellington correspondent who was a diver in the employment of Mr. Alan McGuire, has had an exciting few moments underwater in this harbor during the past week. McGovern had only just come from Auckland, where such causes of excitement were rarely met with, so that a great demand was made upon his nervous energy when caught by a devil fish five fathoms under the surface. A local reporter tells the story as follows. On going down for the purpose of laying some blocks, he was attacked by a good-sized octopus, which succeeded in fastening onto him, and in spite of all his struggles, chained him to one of the piles in the retaining wall. Had no idea what it was going to do with him after it got it caught. McGovern, however, had the good sense to remain quiet, and the octopus, whose arms measured quite nine feet, quitting its hold of the pile, was brought to the surface on the back of the diver. These monsters are very numerous in Wellington Harbor, Evans Bay, and the neighboring coast. That was from the Belfast Witness by way of Sailor's Magazine in 1889. It was octopus. I wouldn't go under the water with them. We had a story from Stone, which was an illustrated magazine published in the day. Every monthly magazine, I guess it was. Stone, marble, granite, contracting, and building. 
And the title of this story is Queer Quarries Discovered. Uh, I don't think queer meant the same thing back then. Stone has recently received the first lot of letters from its special expedition sent to investigate a wonderful quarry near Shin Pond in the Sugarloaf Mountains of Maine. And this quarry has been worked for several hundred years, but the product of which had never reached a market beyond the villages of the once powerful but now almost extinct tribe of Penobscot Indians, which owns and holds it sacred. Stone Magazine's expedition comprised its buff and blue stone editors and Professor Gran I.T. Cheek, an expert quarryman and analyst. They started from Mattawamkeg, the nearest rail, railway station, on the morning of August 10th. They reached the foothills of Sugarloaf on the 15th. Here they met an old chief named Pepsin, who welcomed them to his birch bark teepee on the heel of one of Shin Ponds, where he had lived for 60 years with his daughter, Tutti Fruity. This is a real story. Tutti Fruity had been the medi- oh no, uh, Pepsin had been the medicine man of his tribe. It took them three days to make the old fellow understand what they were there for. Three days, 72 hours. But after many presents of trinkets dear to the Indian heart, they finally persuaded the old fellow to direct them on the following day to the site of the wonderful quarry. So here we are in Sugarloaf. Let's set the stage here. We got Pepsin the Chief, who's the medicine man, his daughter Tutti Fruity. We've got IT Cheek, the expert quarryman and analyst. This is getting too exciting. At the break of day, our expedition set out. The winter's snow and ice had not departed entirely from the sequestered shades of the pine clad hills, but the sap was running freely from the pine. I should say so. The air was redolent with the perfume of balsam and bud. In a little while, they entered a canyon between two heavily timbered hills, and the old chief directed them to a cavernous cavernous opening at the base of a huge shelving of rock, perhaps five acres in extent, and probably 200 feet in thickness. Now I want to go there. This was the quarry, and what a wonder it was, being nothing more nor less than a fully developed quarry of gum with very thin strata of many colors, fully 150 feet deep and enclosing an area of four square acres. It was simply a huge pile of variegated strips of gum resembling such as one may see in miniature in the shop windows. The bottom of the quarry was a lake of sap, which had not yet congealed to sufficient hardness to bear any weight. The old chief explained that this was the sap that had percolated through the shelving rock 30 moons before, and that would, as soon as the warm weather settled, become clarified and solid when the sap which had just commenced running to the roots of the trees above would work its way through the rock to again drip and form another layer. In this way, the wonderful deposit of natural gum has been going on for countless ages, each season depositing a tissue sheet of gum of a different color. For hundreds, perhaps thousands of years, the old chief said, his people had quarried this gum to thatch their bark huts, to coat the inner walls of their teepees, to waterproof their canoes, 
and to prepare the hides and furs of the animals they had slain for food and clothing, for the winters are long and rigorous in that climate they must be well protected. It had also broken into rubble and used as fuel in rude fireplaces cut into the rock. It was also universally used as a chewing gum to quench thirst. Indeed, it is said, one who incessantly chews it never gets thirsty or hungry, and a supply was always taken along by the Penobscots when they went on the chase for wild game. So that goes on quite a bit. But one of the great queer quarries of Maine, the quarries on a reservation belonging to a remnant of the Penobscot tribe, who, of course, have no idea of its commercial importance, of course. It was. It is not believed that they would part with it for any consideration, for practically they could not exist without it. And then Stone Magazine says, Our expedition will return with a supply of the gum, which we have a notion to manufacture into premiums for new subscribers, or to induce our old readers to stick to us. You stick to us with our gum. Uh, we had another queer quarry in Redwood Falls. A party of honest Norwegian prospectors discovered a valuable Italian marble bed three miles southwest of this city today. From certain geological data barely discernible, it is conceded that Adam's tombstone was taken from this deposit. And a company of French capitalist has formed a syndicate by cable with 18 million francs to develop the property. 18 million francs is about 18 million francs too many. Uh, collections from the Maine Historical Society, Volume 1. And this was, uh, do we have a date here? 18, around 1885. A little story. This actually happened in on May 11th, 1855. The occupant of Richmond Island, now that's down off of uh, Scarborough, I think it is, or Saco. The occupant of Richmond's Island, in plowing a field near the northern shore, turned up a stone pot lying about a foot under the surface near what had been the foundation of buildings. On examination, the pot was found to contain 20 silver coins of the reign of Elizabeth, a shilling piece, six pences, uh, more sixpences. One had the date of 1606. Then they also found in this pot 21 gold coins from the reign of James I, uh, seven sovereigns from the reign of Charles I, etc., and also a Scottish coin of James as King of Scotland dated 1602. A full description of this discovery and of the coin was published in the State of Maine newspaper May 24th, 1855, and another article on the subject soon after in the Massachusetts Historical Collection. So they found this pot uh, underneath, uh, about a foot underneath the surface in the foundation of some buildings, Richmond's Island. And then the, the, the back story there is sometime in the course of this year, 1855, Walter Bagnall, called Great Walt, established himself upon Richmond's Island within the limits of the ancient town of Falmouth. Uh, John Winthrop, under 1631, says that Bagnall lived alone upon the island for three years and had accumulated about 400 pounds, mostly in goods, by his trade with the Indians whom he had much wronged. 
He and a companion were killed by an Indian sagamore called Squid Rayset. Boy, sounds dangerous. In his company on October 3rd, 1631, and then they burned his house and plundered his property. Bagnall had been a servant to someone in Massachusetts, but when or with whom he came to this country is not known. So Bagnall treated the Indians poorly. He was killed by them. He buried all his loot there underneath the ground in, in uh, Richmond Island. And you can go visit that island. It's got a couple of campsites and owned by the Sprague Corporation. I think you have to go to them first and ask permission, fill out a paper or two. Okay, it's time to look at our flower, which um, it, it sleeps during the day. The evening primrose, Onothera biennis. What a pretty little flower. At the top of a leafy stalk, bloom, uh, at the top of a leafy stalk, bloom lemon-scented, large yellow flowers. You can eat the whole thing if you want. The stem is hairy, often purple-tinged. King's Cure-All, or Common Evening Primrose, is an erect two to six foot biennial with leafy branched stems from a basal rosette. The bright yellow four-petaled flowers up to two inches across open at night. These fragrant flowers occur in many flowered terminal spikes. The flowers of this night flowering biennial open in the evening, close by noon, the plant takes two years to complete its life cycle, with the basal leaves becoming established the first year and flowering occurring the second. The roots are eaten by some wildlife, and the seeds are important as bird seed. Most of the evening primroses have yellow flowers. and In Maine, you can see those uh, along the coast, different places, at Sears Island. They grow along there, if you're out the Sears Island way. They certainly are distinctive when you see them. Uh, we have some more notes on it here. It's a valuable plant for its ability to grow in poor soils and it tolerates drought. The whole plant is edible. The leaves can be cooked as green vegetables and the flowers make beautiful salad garnish. It's winter hardy. Grows This, this account says three to five feet tall. It may spread by self-seeding. It's best in the full sun, in average, medium moisture and well-drained soils. Great choice for prairies and meadows, wildflower gardens, or naturalized areas. You can plant it in a bed uh, and border. No serious insect or disease issues. It's deer resistant and it attracts bees, birds, and butterflies. The flowers are fertilized by night flying moths which are attracted by their lemon fragrance and by bees in the morning before the flowers close up. The seeds, I think we already talked about that. So let's go look at, uh, before we kick you out the door here, let's go look at the weather forecast, the National Weather Service forecast for today, Saturday, May 13th, 2023. Wow. Sunny skies with a high near 69 degrees, northwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour, gusting as high as 30. That'll move the antenna on the roof and the channels aren't going to come in. I'll have to get up there and fix it again. For Sunday, sunny with a high near 62 northwest wind, again uh, gusting up as high as 25 miles per hour. Sounds like we're getting into the wildfire scariness phase. But look at this forecast all through Monday and Tuesday, Thursday, and right into Friday of next week. 
sunny and pleasant, highs near 70 uh, every day, and the lows in the overnights around 40. So wonderful spring weather has arrived here in Maine, and we're very grateful for that. I hope you're enjoying your day and your weekend. And until next time, this is Down East Mike wishing you and your loved ones a day that is full of grace, love, and kindness. We'll see you. I lost it all a long time ago And now won't you look at me I'm a broken man living poor in a city by the sea At night the tent is all lit up But the glow is lost on me Oh, I'm all broke down and living hard In a city by the sea I lost it all in Nova Scotia The water and the flowers and the girls My body's broken on the rocks in Maine After Nova Scotia I'll never be the same I inherited a chunk of cash And I spent it all forthwith my pockets were all full of holes My wallet was a sin So my friends that once stood by me Oh, they've all just slinked away I can have all the pals I want in life But it sure is pay to play I lost it all in Nova Scotia The water and the flowers and the girls My body's broken on the rocks in Maine After Nova Scotia I'll never be the same